From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up at the end of last week, the Democratic leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, said this. As majority leader, I have every intention of passing both major infrastructure packages. The bipartisan infrastructure framework and a budget resolution with reconciliation instructions before we leave for the August recess. The bipartisan $1 trillion plus infrastructure bill may be at a political impasse. We'll talk about it with South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. We'll also get his thoughts on the unrest in both Iran and Cuba. Should America be doing more to help destabilize those repressive regimes and stand with the people? Also, members of the House Freedom Caucus are seeking to bring an end to the authoritarian reign of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. What's their plan? The chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Congressman Andy Biggs, is here to tell us. And last week, a federal judge temporarily blocked Arkansas's SAFE Act, Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, which would prevent often irreversible transgender procedures from being conducted on children under the age of 18. 17 state attorneys general have joined together in support of the Arkansas law. Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall is leading the effort, and he joins us later here on Washington Watch. I've said many times over the last year and a half that one of the silver linings of the coronavirus was that parents were exposed, not to the virus, but to the indoctrination their children were getting in public schools. As a result, homeschooling in America has more than doubled in the last year. Now, we can only hope with the antics of teachers, unions, and the arrogance of many school boards that the number will double again. Let's hope and pray. Well, according to the AP, the U.S. Census Bureau reports the largest increase is in black households that rose from 3.3% prior to the pandemic to 16.1%. Phenomenal growth. We'll talk with the co-founder of National Black Home Educators, Joyce Burgess, who, by the way, was one of my first political supporters 25 years ago. She joins us here to talk about why such a growth and how they can help homeschool families. And Meg Kilgannon will uh, join us, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council, to take a look at some of the other educational stories. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. By the way, shout out to all the folks at uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. I was with them yesterday. A lot of uh, Washington Watch listeners, great pastor there. And uh, just uh, looking forward to being back with them again. And um, you can find out more about that on our website, TonyPerkins.com. Got some links to uh, Sunday's service over there. All right. Um, over the weekend, U.S. Senators projected uh, optimism that they would be able to finish by August recess the bipartisan infrastructure package currently being negotiated by a group of Senate Democrats and Republicans. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi reiterated yesterday that she would not hold a vote on the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package until the Sen Senate passes the second larger $3.5 trillion spending bill. I won't put it on the floor until we have but if you, the rest of the initiative. But if you stick by that decision, you could end up with nothing. Senator Lindsey Graham has threatened that Republicans will walk out of the Capitol if necessary to prevent any action on reconciliation, just like the Democrats did down in Texas. Well, I, you know, let me just say, 
You talk to Lindsey Graham about what he says. I'm telling you what's going to happen in the House of Representatives, and that is that uh, uh, we root, are rooting for the infrastructure bill to pass, but we all know that more needs to be done. Well, and we're going to talk to Lindsey Graham about that. Joining us now is U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, ranking member on the Senate Budget Committee and a member of the Appropriations Committee and the Judiciary Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tony. It's, well, you're talking to me if Stephanopoulos is not. That's good. <laughs> well, Nancy Pelosi says, uh, you know, she, she doesn't know what you're going to say. She says what she's going to say. But I want to hear what you're going to say. This bipartisan okay, bill, boy. I know you're actually a part of the negotiations. Right. Kind of uh, there's some issues over the formula by which this money is going right. to be dispensed to the states on the infrastructure. Uh, there's some other right. issues. How's it going to be financed? How's it going to be paid for? Where does it stand? Okay, I think it stands a, a little bit in limbo right now. But uh, So let me tell your listeners what I believe. I believe roads, ports, and bridges need a facelift. I don't think we need a $3.5 trillion bill uh, that they're proposing is not infrastructure. What Nancy Pelosi is talking about is a liberal wish list, uh, um, yeah, man mandatory uh, paid family leave, we may like that concept, but the day you make it a federal government mandate, it's going to go. It's going to increase cost of business, which will be passed on to us, which increases inflation. So the three and a half trillion dollar package, I would walk out before I would let that thing pass. They're talking to put about putting amnesty in it, which would blow a bigger hole in the border. So what we're talking about is roads, uh, bridges, and ports. It's $559 billion of new money. We take a lot of the money for COVID, Tony, and allocate it to infrastructure. There's no tax increases. It's got to be paid for by offsetting other areas of the government in terms of expense. There are two real issues now. Requiring Davis-Bacon law to apply to this bill, which would create a prevailing wage requirement. It's a union-backed initiative that requires federal projects to pay prevailing wages, which drives up the cost of the project called Davis-Bacon. We don't want that in, in this infrastructure bill. And how much money to give to urban areas in the transit portion of uh, transportation, you know, the, the big city infrastructure, uh, you know, rails and bridges and that kind of stuff. It's an 80-20 split, and the Democrats want to change it. I hope we can get there. I think we need a uh, infrastructure package that's truly infrastructure. I want it to be paid for. But when it comes to $3.5 trillion uh, bill is more like five. I would fight that as hard as I could fight it. And if you put amnesty in it for illegal immigrants, it'd be a disaster of all disasters. So, Senator, the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure plan mm -hmm. that has bipartisan support, as you said, this is going to be offset, so you're, no new taxes to pay for this. This actually, right. in, in a way, creates economic growth and activity because it's upgrading our mm -hmm. infrastructure and allowing businesses and others to have the benefit of that. Yeah, it, well, see, the three and a half trillion dollar bill is inflationary. Yeah, it's yeah, right. Well, let me let's. Bridges. I, I want to separate yeah. those uh, first. The, the, the okay, one tr one point two trillion. Yeah, okay. The one point two is really fifty five hundred fifty nine billion of new money. Take five fifty nine out, and that's what the new money is. The rest of the money is already allocated through COVID and other programs, and we're just going to direct it to uh, to infrastructure. The main thing you nailed is that we're talking about putting money into road, rail, 
uh, and port systems over multiple years that will create demand in the out years that will reduce inflation. Right. The main thing is what you put your finger on. This is a bill that funds infrastructure projects over multiple years that will create demand in the economy, which is a good thing. Right. So that's why it has bipartisan support. Then we get to the three point yeah. five trillion. You say it could be, end up being right. five five trillion, which they call human infrastructure. That's right. all of the right. social programs for the left. That's their uh, their I've grab never bag. On human infrastructure, I've never, never driven on human infrastructure or parked or boat in human. Yeah, this. Is well, I don't know. There's a lot of there's spending. a lot of humans. There's a lot of humans on Capitol Hill that are driving me crazy. Uh, and the rest of America. So this, this is the one you're opposing because this is all new spending. And this, and I want one other point is that this is not the annual. Uh, these are not appropriations bills. This is a. This is on a on top of yeah. what the government normally spends. So we're talking about another three point five trillion on top of everything else. I wish I could do this interview worldwide because you're the first guy to ever actually talk about the difference in the bills. So the three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure package has nothing to do with roads, bridges, and ports. It's on top of what we spend to run the government. It expands programs that are social programs that will never go away. So it's not three and a half trillion. It, all these programs, I think once they're up and running, will be hard to get rid of. And if you look at the cost over 10 years, it's more than five trillion. Let me give an example of this bill. Paid family leave. It's going to be a federal mandate. They're going to mandate, um, you know, paying for uh, uh, home health care attendance, you know, the people who provide care to family loved ones. That's mm -hmm. going to be a cost to the Treasury, right? And at the end of the day, that's not going to create a job. What it's going to do is create cost of business. So if you own a business out there and you're going to have to pay uh, paid family leave, that becomes an expense of your business. You're going to pass that cost on to the consumer, and it's going right. to create inflation. Right. And, and so where's this money coming from? It's coming from the debt. It will be borrowed. They're going to say they'll pay for it, but here's what's going to happen. They're going to try to pay for it, Tony, and the first thing they're going to do is raise corporate taxes to whatever level that Joe Manchin will agree to. There won't be a dime of tax increases in the bipartisan bill because that's the last thing you want to do is impose more cost on business and people while you're trying to recover. So if you go, let's say, from 21 to 25, that's $600 billion of revenue. Well, that only pays for 600 to $3.5 they're going to have to raise capital gains rates. They're going to have to change the uh, the estate tax deductions, lower it for family farmers. This is going to be a massive increase in taxes to pay for this bill. And a lot of the offsets, I think, will be phony. But the one thing you can count on is if they try to pay for this bill, they're going to be limited pretty much to raising taxes to do it at a time when the economy is trying to recover. So now Nancy Pelosi, as... President Biden is doing is coupling these two bills together, saying she's saying now she's not going to vote on the 1.2 trillion until she has the 3.5 trillion. So is she trying to hold the Senate hostage to her demands? I think what she's telling the American people that my liberal wish list is more important to the Democratic Party than roads, bridges, and ports. 
So if you had a bipartisan bill that really was truly infrastructure that would create demand in the economy in the out years because you're building things, and Democratic House and Senate leaders refuse to take it up because they want the, the, you know, the tax and spend package, I think we'll blow them out in 2022. I think the public is ready for a facelift of our roads and bridges and ports, but the public is very leery of, uh, of inflation. And this three and a half trillion dollar package is very inflationary. If she does that, then I think we'll have a campaign issue we don't have today. Right now, their second win on the border is completely broken. Crime is rampant and inflation is just spiraling out of control because of all this spending. If you add on top of that, uh, stopping progress on true infrastructure because you want more uh, spending and taxes, I think that becomes the death blow to the Democratic Party in 2022. Well, I hope you're right. Um, unfortunately, Senator Graham, as always, we run out of time. I did not even get to our foreign policy <laughs> issues in Iran and Cuba. Um, yeah, I'll be back. Oh, but you, you did a good job explaining the two bills. Nobody's ever done that before. That's very important. Well, I want to get you to come back on so we can talk foreign policy. I want to talk Iran, sure, Cuba, will. and China. Uh, some yes, of your favorite topics. Absolutely. All right, uh, Senator, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being with us. Senator Lindsey Graham of uh, South Carolina. He's, he's really one of the most knowledgeable members of the Senate. I love to have him on the program. All right, coming up next, the, uh, the House Freedom Caucus has sent a letter to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy calling for the removal of Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. Do they have a case? Congressman Andy Biggs, the chairman, is here next. Don't go away. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently, we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-linked documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. How many of the Ten Commandments can you name? These are the basic standards God has set for living. So listen to Proverbs chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. The Ten Commandments are God's boundaries for life. Share together with your family what it means to have God's standards as the apple of your eye and how to write them down on the tablet of your heart. Try to memorize the Ten Commandments as a family. Remember, the commandments were given for our protection. They're commandments, not suggestions. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home.
The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. On Thursday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi defended her actions rejecting Congressman Jim Banks and Jim Jordan from a select panel investigating the events of January the 6th. My responsibility as Speaker of the House to make sure we get to the truth on this and we will not let their antics stand in the way of that. She took issue with uh, both Congressman's, uh, Congressman Jim Banks and Jim Jordan. The following day, the House Freedom Caucus sent a letter to the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, requesting that he remove, uh, attempt to remove the Speaker of the House. In response, uh, Pelosi told uh, George Stephanopoulos on Sunday on ABC's this week that she's not concerned about any threat from the Freedom Caucus. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, Andy Biggs. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Arizona. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. Well, I would think the speaker should be a little concerned because the last time the Freedom Caucus used this uh, provision to vacate the chair, uh, we got a new speaker. We did. We did. Um, that was John Boehner um, uh, a number of years ago, I think almost six years ago now. The, the, the score was a little bit different because the Republicans controlled the House. Democrats control the House now. But I got to believe that there are some Democrats who are in, in vulnerable districts that if they voted to bring Pelosi back, some of them actually campaigned on that they would not vote for Pelosi for Speaker. So if we could get this up, Maybe we have a chance. It's a, it's a slim chance, but it's worth taking because she's destroying the institution and she's attacking the freedoms that you and I enjoy. Everything from rights of conscience, rights of speech, you name it, she's after it. Well, you've talked about that in your letter to Kevin McCarthy. You talked about the her antics, her totalitarian rule of the House, authoritarian rule, I should say, of the House, where... You know, you've got the mask mandate going through the metal detectors. But the, the, the number one thing I think that the Americans really understood what was going on here is the proxy voting that still is in place that she has used. When you have a house that's so narrowly divided, I mean, she just has a handful of votes to, de- to work with. And because of proxy voting, which she's kept in place, she's able to, to ram these things through. That's exactly right. We have members that I don't know if they've been here um, more than once or twice in a year. Um, and they're still collecting a paycheck. Now they're voting, they're voting from home. We've seen people vote from 
boats, people vote from other places that were they're obviously on vacation. And supposedly proxy voting was to allow people who, who had a serious concern or maybe were even ill with COVID to be able to vote. That's not the case anymore. And so what happens is, is she's able to keep, as you said, the slight majority together because they all vote by proxy. Who knows if they're really voting or if they're communicating or not, not me for Pete's sakes. And uh, the reality is Republicans come to work, we're lunch bucket party, we carry our lunch bucket in, we do the job, we get it done and then we, but the Democrats, they, they, they're trying to emasculate the institution, even with proxy voting. Okay, so Congressman Biggs, explain to our listeners what this provision is and how it would work. So one of the things Nancy Pelosi did when she took office is she had the rules changed, and, and the rule says that only one member, the minority leader uh, or the majority leader, can bring a motion to vacate the chair. And the way it works is this. Uh, we've got a petition, Kevin McCarthy, he has to come in and have a conference meeting. And we have a vote in conference, and if, if we tell him to, to remove her, then he needs to come to the floor of the House, and he lays it out there, makes the motion to, to vacate the chair to remove Nancy Pelosi. The other side then will come in and move to table it, which is essentially a motion on vacating the chair. And um, the majority wins. It's a simple majority vote at that point. But this is a privileged motion, so there's no way to block it from coming to the floor of the House. So there would have to be a vote on this matter. Absolutely right. That, that's right. There has to be a vote. And the way they vote is they try to get around with a tabling, a tabling action and, and, and basically set it aside. But it is a privileged vote, uh, privileged motion, so we, we get the vote on it. That's the key. So, Congressman Andy Biggs. Any word from uh, Leader McCarthy as to whether or not he is considering this? Uh, negotiations are ongoing. I, I know that he wants to to use it at the what he thinks may be the appropriate time. So uh, he's working on it, and uh, you know, I, I hope that he makes the decision to do that because not only do we have the Nancy Pelosi problem, we've got the Liz Cheney, Adam Kinsinger problem as well. So a, a lot of things going on there. Yeah, so back to the what was the final straw here was the this select committee for January the 6th speak the the leader pulls back uh, the five because uh, Pelosi rejected your two colleagues Jim Banks and Jim Jordan but then she goes out and starts cherry and picking uh, Republicans who will line up with her I mean how's that gonna sit with Republicans well right now uh I don't know if I'm talking just to an echo chamber. I've tried to get outside it, uh, but I don't know of anybody in our conference other than uh, very, very few people that support that position. I mean, think of, think about what she's doing. She's out there giving this false narrative that she wants to get to the truth of what happened on January 6th. And while she's saying that, she's getting people who've said they want to, that they, they don't support Trump. They want to get Trump. They want to get uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy himself, they want to get the Republicans, they want to attack the Republicans, and those are two Republicans that have said that. So uh, this isn't about truth, and nobody should be uh, naive enough to think about that. They have to understand this is about Nancy Pelosi protecting herself. I think she might have some culpability about the pre-January 6th lack of planning on her part, but also um, she, she wants to attack and divert everything she can away from the lousy policies 
of the left and put full focus on Republicans. Uh, and, and so she's going to stack this commission with her sycophants. And don't don't make a mistake, Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger are, are her sycophants so they can accomplish what she wants to accomplish, and that's to dirty up the Republican Party and Donald Trump and his supporters. Yeah, this is, uh, this is political theater at its worst, uh, and that's exactly what she is uh, up to. Always great to talk with you, Andy. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. We'll be watching this very closely. You bet, Tony. We'll keep you posted. All right. Congressman Andy Biggs, chairman of the, uh, the House Freedom Caucus, which the Freedom Caucus was actually birthed in my conference room a number of years ago. They're doing some great work keeping uh, the conservative wheels of governance uh, moving. All right. Don't go away. We're coming back with more after this. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Well, this certainly is going to be an interesting week this week. We'll see how things play out. We have a lot of economic data coming out, and we are going to be starting off the week with new home sales. And it's expected to be down a little bit for the month of June. We also get durable good orders. That's an important number, also expected to be down for the month of June. We also get Consumer Confidence Index. This is the index that I like the most, comes out on a regular basis. We're getting a July Consumer Confidence Index, and guess what? It is expected to be down, which is not a good thing for the month of July. Nonetheless, we will see what that looks like. Federal Reserve will be holding a press conference, Jerome Powell, on Wednesday. Everybody's going to be waiting to hear what the Fed president has to offer about the economy, interest rates, and inflation, of course. We get initial jobless claims as usual. That's expected to be below 400 in the 380 range this is last week's number pending home sales come out and gdp for the second quarter will be coming out it's expected to be around eight and a half percent i wouldn't be surprised to see that down consumer spending for june coming out that's expected to be up slightly there's also a consumer sentiment number coming out by the university of michigan expected to be down and i gotta believe that this will be the week that earnings come into focus a little bit more than we have seen want to hear more financial advice from dan celia look for his podcast at afr.net you're listening to washington watch i'm tony perkins your host the website is tonyperkins.com Last Wednesday, a federal judge temporarily blocked the newly enacted Arkansas law that protects minors from harmful, experimental, and irreversible, in some cases, gender transition procedures. Now, the law, called the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or SAFE, was overwhelmingly approved by the Arkansas legislature. We talked about it here a number of times. The governor, Governor Asa Hutchinson, vetoed the legislation. Uh, but the legislature, as I said, went on to, uh, to pass it overwhelmingly. Now, it has also been backed by a coalition of state, uh, 17 state attorneys general that have filed a brief defending the law. 
Now, leading the charge on this is Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. Uh, General Marshall, welcome to Washington Watch. Oh, thank you, and thank you for letting us talk about this important issue. Well, I want to start with the question, why did you decide to lead the Attorney General on this amicus brief? Well, I think it's obviously a very important issue across the country for us to be able to discuss when we have an experimental surgery that the state of Arkansas is attempting to protect children, then our opportunity to come together with a coalition of states to be able to support that really is a fundamental role of attorneys general generally. And for me personally, this was an, uh, an issue that we wanted to be able to lead on. I'll have to say the, uh, the, the state attorneys general are taking a very key role right now when you see some of the policies that are coming out of our nation's capital. Of course, this is a state policy, but in many ways it's in response to what's being pushed from the federal level. Are, are you concerned about this trend that we see across the country when it comes to uh, this gender reassignment and, and of, of teenagers, those that we wouldn't let them buy a beer or uh, drive a car, but we'll let them make a decision exactly. about uh, changing their body parts? No, absolutely. And, and not only making that decision at an age in which the mind itself is not developed to be able to make decisions that, that, that changes their entire life, uh, but here we know this is an experimental process that at least if the research is to be guiding us, which we would hope it is, tells us that most children that present with gender dysphoria ultimately resolve themselves by the time they reach the age of majority. And so right. when, again, as you aptly describe, we won't allow young people to choose to drink uh, or to smoke a cigarette at a certain age, but yet would allow them to completely change uh, the structure of their body. Uh, it's clearly an area that Arkansas is acting appropriately, and we look forward to being able to work with them along with our state coalitions and being able to be that voice nationally. So what are your thoughts with uh, federal judge, district judge uh, James Moody, uh, with his decision last week to temporarily block the law? I think we obviously disagree, and I think my friend Leslie Rutledge, the attorney general for Arkansas, has said it aptly that this was a judge acting clearly outside of both what the facts and the law would require in the situation. Arkansas is going to directly appeal this decision to grant the preliminary injunction, uh, and Alabama will lead the amicus brief like we had in this case uh, to make sure that we can allow multiple states to be able to weigh in in support of what Arkansas has done. Well, I think General Rutledge will do a great job defending the law, and um, I, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, there were 17 of you uh, that stepped forward to support this law in Arkansas. That tells me there's uh, broad support for these common sense pieces of legislation, and uh, it's, it's, again, it's just good to see the state sticking together on this. No, and I was very encouraged by the coalition that we were able to get. But it's not just only listed, you know, with regard to this issue. But, I mean, even that basic premise about sports with uh, you have girls ought to play against girls and boys ought to play against boys. And we're having to fight that issue in the states as well. And so I think this is just a reflection of the Biden administration and the radical policies that they'll have the ability of organizations like the ACLU to try to shape uh, what's going on in the respective states. Um, but I'm proud of my Republican colleagues that we're able to come together and to be able to speak again, not just to what's going on in our respective jurisdictions, but also on issues that impact Alabamians across the board. And so uh, we'll continue to be able to lead on this issue and want to be able to help Arkansas be able to specifically uphold what is clearly an appropriate action by their legislature in trying to protect children. Final question for you, General Marshall. What's the time frame here? Do you think the court will uh, will take this up and, and, and give a final decision on it? 
Well, we definitely hope that uh, the court will expedite the hearing. Arkansas is preparing right now uh, the paperwork to begin that uh, process. I'm sure that they will ask and seek as much of an expedited review as they can. Uh, and we likewise will be preparing our brief and hopefully not only having those 17 states, but also be able to encourage more states to join us to again uphold what is a valid action on behalf of, of Arkansas's children. Well, General Marshall, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us today on Washington Watch, but I also want to thank you uh, for leading out on this effort and gathering those other state attorneys generals to uh, to join this process. And again, I underscore how important uh, the attorney generals at the state level, the attorneys general, have become in an environment where you've got so much stuff coming down from the federal government. You guys are kind of like uh, the last line of defense for for freedom in many ways. No, I think in many respects right now, we see that as a fundamental role for us. And one of the things that I'm proud of is our ability to fight. I mean, uh, Republican attorneys general are not going to back down from the radical policies of the, this administration. And we're going to be able to use the courts as an effective way of trying to make sure that we uphold the rule of law and, and uphold the Constitution. Well, no, you've got some folks out here rooting for you. Appreciate that. Thank you, Tony. All right, General. Good to talk with you. Have a great day. You too. General Steve Marshall, Attorney General of uh, the state of Alabama, leading up on this uh, friend of the court brief, amicus brief that's been filed in support of the SAFE Act for Arkansas. All right, when we come back, some really good news. I mean, it gives me a lot of hope. What's happening is homeschooling is growing. In fact, it's doubled in the last year. It's the silver lining in the coronavirus. And guess what? It's grown even more among black households. We're going to talk with uh, one of the co-founders of the Black Homeschool Educators. Joyce Burgess joins me next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org worldview. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. Thank you for standing with AFA as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. 
So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Did you ever see dragonflies hover over a lake? You know why they do that? Well, I didn't either until I read this book, Brother to a Dragonfly. They do it because they have come from the lake and their brothers and sisters are still there in the larva stage. The dragonflies are trying to get back to tell them how wonderful it is to fly. Jesus sets us free to fly. He forgives us, loves us, and accepts us just the way we are. Enjoy the flight, but don't forget your brothers and sisters. They know you're not there anymore, but they don't know what happened. Go back and tell them. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Hey, share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Hope you had a great weekend. I mentioned at the top of the program this uh, this weekend I was at Cornerstone Chapel yesterday. Uh, my good friend, Pastor Gary Hamrick, out there. Um, I said it was on my website. It's not. It's on Facebook. If you'd like to see the message uh, that I had out there, it's on my Facebook page, Tony Perkins. Uh, so check that out. And if you happen to be in the Leesburg area and looking for a good Bible-preaching church, Cornerstone Chapel with uh, Gary Hamrick is the place to go. All right, the coronavirus has fundamentally changed so many aspects of life, most of them not for the good, but there is a silver lining. Uh, you know, and I've been talking about this for the last probably almost year and a half. I saw this immediately because parents were exposed, not to the virus, but to what their kids were actually being taught in the schools. And, I mean, they were looking at all this stuff. Uh, you know, public schools have become these woke factories teaching every liberal's wish, wish list of critical race theory, LGBTQ ideologies, uh, and, and, and just teaching them to become liberal activists. Well, something's happened uh, in the last 25 years. There are now many alternative educational choices for children outside the traditional public schools, and it's been growing rapidly. You know, lot, internet, uh, computer access, online learning has created so many different options. Now, the, uh, I was surprised by this. The AP had a story today entitled Sparked by Pandemic Fallout, Homeschooling Surges Across the U.S. Now, citing uh, U.S. Census Bureau numbers, they say the, the surge has been confirmed, I'm quoting from the AP story, the surge has been confirmed by the U.S. Census Bureau, which reported in March that the rate of households homeschooling their children rose to 11% by September 2020, more than doubling from the 5.4% just six months earlier. But there's more good news. The biggest increase is in black households, they saw the largest jump, their homeschooling rate rose from 3.3% in the spring of 2020 to 16.1% in the fall. Now, one of the organizations that is helping this happen, 
happens to be someone I've known for many years, uh, one of my early political supporters back in my home state of Louisiana, Joyce Burgess. He's the co-founder and program director of the National Black Home Educators. Uh, Joyce, welcome uh, back to Washington Watch. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tony. Joyce, you have to Good be. Things you do. It, you've got to be encouraged by this after years of laboring on this that now you're seeing this uh, explosive growth um, in homeschooling, especially in black homes. I am very excited about this. It just gives parents an opportunity to own their children's education and to reclaim their children's education again. Parents want stability, and I'm very excited to see that parents are choosing to be on the front lines and the first influencers of their children's education. So Joyce, what are some of the things you're hearing as parents contact you as motivation for entering into this world of homeschooling? Well, one of the first things that we're hearing, you know, it's been homeschooling where black families are concerned has been on an uptick for years and years. But with the pandemic, it's really, really uh, exploded. And some of the things I'm hearing is parents want stability. Parents want to make sure that their children are, you know, learning about the things that value, that they value. They want to make sure that their children are getting a wholesome education so that the whole child can develop. I'm seeing a lot of parents tell me that they just can't navigate the virtual setting that they found themselves in. And then, of course, they are being exposed to some things that parents, you know, I mean, just an elementary child, parents are just not going to put up with that. And so it's just been kind of shocking to see, you know, how parents are, you know, just wanting to get involved. You know, one of the things that I heard a mom say just this very day is they noticed that their child, was, their schools were not teaching African-American history the way they wanted th their children to mm -hmm. learn African-American history. So parents have been inspired to seek out African-American resources and just to seek out the black experience as it relates to curriculum. So parents are getting involved to make sure that their children know what the truth is and that their children understand who their heroes are so that they can be inspired once again. Right. And I mean, there's so many key places where we've seen African-Americans play key roles in American history godly men and women who have contributed greatly to this uh, uh, this experiment that we're, we're in. And that's not what is normally covered uh, in our public schools. It's not that faith element that shows those that uh, contributed so greatly to this country. You know, one of the things I've, I, I saw in the AP story that I thought was, uh, I, I knew is to be the case, but I thought very enlightening and helpful as many parents are saying, you know, I, I just didn't, I didn't think I could do this. But now that I, I, as you said, they were in the virtual setting and that didn't really work. And so they tried this and they realized, hey, I can do this. It's not that difficult. Absolutely. You know, we've homeschooled for 30 something years, all five of our children and parents are saying, you know what, I'm qualified. I can do this. You know, more than anything, parents are forgetting about whatever kind of inadequacies that they feel educationally or academically. And they're seeing the need for their children to learn what is good and what is wholesome. And they're just forgetting about all their inadequacies. And they're saying, you know what, children come first 
and I want to make sure that my children get the best educational experience possible. And I'm a first influencer because parents are the only ones with a vested interest in their children's education. Yes. Yes. Children thrive environment. They thrive because it's personalized, it's customized, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a package deal like, you know, for years and years, Black parents have been lied to about that. And so Black families are saying, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to do this. I want to be involved. I want to know what my children are learning and whatever it takes, I'm going to be a part of it. So that's what we're seeing today. And we're very excited about that. Well, as you should be, as I said, you've labored in this vineyard for a long time. And, uh, and now we're seeing a lot, uh, a lot come forth, a lot of the fruit. The uh, one of the reoccurring messages that I've seen that parents have shared in some of these stories is that um, in schools, children, you know, they have to follow these set patterns. It stifles them, but they also face the bullying, the belittling. And when they come home, they're free to be themselves and they begin to prosper. And so many parents have said, you know, my, it's, I have a new child. is uh, acting completely different now that he's a home in a different environment. You've been hearing the yeah, same thing? Yeah, parents are getting to know their children and it's yeah, absolutely. Parents are getting to know their children and their children are getting to know their parents, which is the beauty of homeschooling, is to have that relationship. You know, one of the things I said in raising my children was I wanted to create the adults through my children. I wanted to create the adults that I wanted to spend time with. So, yes, I'm hearing that, you know, children, uh, you know, that potentially could have had suicidal rates, you know, with the bullying going on and, you know, with them just not learning who they are, their personal talents, their creativeness. And children are beginning to see those things as they're homeschooling. Homeschooling is a lifeline mm -hmm. for parents. Yes. And, and parents are coming on board and, and they're here to stay, you know, they're here to stay. Well, I, I want to commend you, uh, Joyce, for staying with this and so excited about the growth that uh, we're seeing here. How can people find out more if they want to consider this? Uh, how can they join up with you and be a part of the Black Homeschool Education Network? Thank you so much. Um, parents can contact the National Black Home Educators by emailing us at contact at nbhe.net, or they can visit our website where there are supplemental lessons out there, there are resources out there about the black experience. You know, one of the things I wanna get across is there's an excellence in the black experience. And that's what parents who are choosing to homeschool their children, that's what they're bringing out. So our email address is again, contact at nbhe.net. Our website address is www.nbhe.net. They can get in touch with us directly there. People are waiting, even as I'm talking to you, they're waiting by the phones, just waiting for parents to come up. We want to be a lifeline, and we, we're here to help. We're here to serve families. And, and, and all of this comes with the foundation of biblical truth. Absolutely. And, you know, we're honored to say that because black families have always had a great love for God. I learned that from my grandmother. And, you know, we're just bringing those biblical truths, those biblical principles back in. You know, George Washington Carver, we all know how talented he was. And he owes everything that he was about, everything that he created, all of his contributions was because of God. Yeah. He called his little workshop God's Little Workshop. 
And so there are more and more African-American heroes that honored God. That I mean, I, we wouldn't be where we are today if it had not been for God. Yes. So black families cherish that. They honor those, that culture. It's very important to us, and we are putting that into the next generation as we train our children. Well, Joyce, we're going to encourage folks to, uh, to check out that website and uh, contact you, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Tony. Absolutely. Joyce Burgess, uh, check out uh, the website. It's the uh, National Black Home Educators. So go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got a link up there to you. But I've known Joyce for 25 years, um, know her kids. And, you know, the, this, is, uh, this is what they've been doing. And people are finally seeing the value of homeschooling. Joining me now to talk uh, more about this and what is happening in education is our own Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Tony. Great to well, be here. This is exciting stuff for me. Uh, you know, as a uh, our family homeschooled, uh, you know, all of our kids, we still got one in the pipeline. Uh, but the uh, this has now become, there's so many resources out there, so many options for parents. And, and now that they've seen what their kids have been exposed to, and they've actually spent time with their kids, in most cases, uh, they say, you know what, let's try this. Yeah, it is a really wonderful time. I think it's important to just remind everybody that what was happening during the pandemic was not homeschooling. It was schooling at home. Yes. And those are two very different things. So if you're on the fence about wondering if you can do it, imagine what you could accomplish if you were in charge of the curriculum, you set the schedule of the school day, and you covered the material that you wanted to cover within the grade, the guidelines of a, of a grade level. How exciting could that be? Yeah. So I hope that people will think about that and, and, and give, it, give it some serious, serious consideration. Now all of the activities that homeschoolers are free to enjoy normally are back open because those were all closed as well last year. So those kind of trips to the zoo and trips to museums and things that, that homeschoolers are so great about putting together field trips and co-ops and things, all of that's going to be available again this year. So it really is a great time to consider maybe this is for you. Yeah, it was interesting. I, 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 I was shocked, frankly, that the AP story was so um, straightforward. And, and, and didn't put a negative spin and, you know, try to make these people look like they have three heads or something. But they, they actually talked about, you know, one of the biggest challenge is to unschool, you know, because you've been conditioned to think a particular way. And that's actually one of the hardest things that homeschool families have initially is to say, oh, okay, we don't have to follow, we don't have to have a ring a bell and everybody be in their desk at a certain time. And another thing that they said, with all of the behavioral issues we have going on in school today and all this extraneous stuff, they're able to get the actual schoolwork done in a very, very short period of time compared to what they spend on a bus and going to school just because they're able to get right to it. Exactly. And, and it's tailored for the needs of your child, right? It's not your kid is sitting through a lesson that maybe they already understand or your child is struggling with something and not getting the, the help that they really need because they're in a classroom full of other students who also need help, right? You, the, the, the parent is there, whether it's the mom or the dad, usually it's the mom, but someone is there, even an older sibling can help with, with uh, younger siblings who are learning concepts. 
that yeah. are difficult, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a really a beautiful well, time of, of learning. That's a really good point because when you have older siblings that will teach the younger, you actually acquire more knowledge when you teach. And so teaching is a really good function in learning. I mean, because when you teach someone else, you got to learn it yourself so you can teach it. So it really is an incentive uh, in this. Um, Meg, uh, we're, we're almost out of time, but I want to say this. You know, we, I, encourage, I encourage families, if they can, to get their kids out and homeschool them, but we don't want to abandon the public schools. We need people on school boards. We need teachers, Christian teachers, to go into the schools. Very quickly, we have a resource available on training folks how to run for school boards. Tell them about it. It's our, our boot camp uh, that we did in June is available online. It's at frcaction.org slash schools. And all of the sessions are there. They're recorded separately. So you can pick the one that you like or listen to all four of them. Um, there, It's just a great resource that we hear from school board members. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.